Hello and welcome to the MLS Fantasy Insider episode 17. Uh, as promised, this is a very special episode for round 15. This is the Fantasy Round Table. And so we're fortunate to have several special guests join us tonight. Uh, but as always, of course, this episode is brought to you by the fantastic Reddit community of r slash fantasy MLS and NSYNC because, as we know, round 15 was all about the bye-bye-byes. So... With that awful pun behind me, I'll go ahead and get to the guests, which I think you're all are really going to know. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to list their overall rank, which is was a request on, on the forums, give you their name and some of their accomplishments, and then I'll let you guys just go ahead and introduce yourself any, any more and talk about how your team did in round 14. So first, number 29 overall, we have Guy Sanchez, owner and author of Footy Fantastic and recent new contributor to foot, Fantasy Football 24-7. Yeah, thank you. No, uh, did not plan on being ranked 29 at this point in the year, but it feels pretty awesome. Uh, a lot of trash talk at work with that. Um, I ended up with the round rank of 106 last week uh, after a 12-point hit, ended up with 80 points. So, pretty good for me. Not planning on 29, you were planning for one, right? That was That's the goal? Well, <laughs> that's always the goal, but it rarely works out. We're coming in at a close number two. We have at number 98, Andrew Corolla, who is the, uh, one of the mods for r slash MLS on Reddit and also the owner and author of the MLS Fantasy blog, which is on hiatus right now, but he still knows his stuff. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, happy to be here. Um, last week turned out awesome for me. I ended up round rank 89, took uh, an unfortunate minus eight, but... Pretty much everybody that I brought in panned out, so pretty pretty happy with my week last week. Great. Uh, coming in third is myself, Reed Conley, a.k.a. Dashdar from the Reddit forums. I'm number 147 right now. I, of course, um, am all involved with MLS Fantasy Boss, the MLS Fantasy Insider. I'm one of the two mods from our Fantasy MLS and write the Fantasy Boss articles for, for MLS this season. Uh, I won't give you my round rank because it was pretty pitiful for round 14, uh, but all that matters is I got a bunch of green arrows, and uh, especially my overall rank. So I got 71 points last week. I was on a minus 8, which didn't all pan out, but I had to drop some DC players at the end, which I was pleased to do. Uh, next we have Jason, a.k.a. Antioch. He's number 259, and he is the newest member of the Fantasy Boss team and a regular co-host here at Fantasy Insider. What's going on, guys? Um, yeah, last week was pretty good for me. I took a negative 12, uh, ended up with 81 points uh, with the round rank of 714, but all green arrows except for uh, three red arrows, and Aristogeta killed me. But my Donna <laughs> captain, my Donna and Piatti, glad I picked them up. With a little lucky assist with that one for some help. <laughs> Uh, number 287 overall, Travis. He is uh, the other mod at our Fantasy MLS. He's contributor to the Total MLS blog and also a regular co-host here at Fantasy Insider. And he is also one of the other fantasy experts contributing the bonus point articles this year for MLS. Hey, guys. Yeah, round 14 was actually pretty, uh, pretty good for me. I thankfully stayed up until 1 a.m. in Paris to make my last-minute transfers because uh, otherwise Kamara would have been my captain and that would have been completely horrible. Uh, instead, Iguain gave me a nice 24 
and uh, finished on 82 points for the round. Very nice. Right behind him at number 290, we've got Skylar Redpath, who is a contributor to Rotowire, DraftKings Playbook, and he's also another of the MLS fantasy experts, and he contributes the Monday morning center back articles. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Uh, ended up pretty decent. Took a 20-point hit. I'm not shy to make some transfers, but after the 20 points, uh, ended up with 67 points. Um, probably would have been a little better had I not captained Arisigueta. Um That was a tough one to uh, to suck up there. But you know, Kai Kamara had three points, so a lot of people rolled with him, so it didn't hurt me too much. Um, 67 points still good enough to knock off Borg's hot takes and Andrew Weeby, so I was happy overall. Hey, I'm at the end of this list, guys. So I mean, you can just <laughs> you can dig right into me this whole time. Well, that, of course, is a name that needs little introduction. Uh, coming in at 1173 overall, Extra Time Radio host, starting lineup host, basically uh, an MLS fantasy godfather, dare I say, uh, Andrew Wiebe. You know, the, uh, the top skill of a godfather is to make everyone feel more powerful than they are. So that's really my strategy with my four-digit uh, ranking right now. I had a pathetic... Round 14, Borg's hot takes were quite cold. Uh, 55 final points, and I cried myself to work on the subway that morning. <laughs> and finally, uh, our, our comeback king when it comes to ranks, though, I must say overall, he's at 2173 right now. Simon, our oh. MLS fantasy co-host and tech guru. <laughs> tech guru is generous. I seems to make the podcast record most of the time, but uh, yeah. Not doing so great this year, but hey, I started off like way worse, and it's been going up every week, so I have a feeling everything is going to turn out okay, so pretty excited for this big episode. Yeah, everyone's really here to listen to us answer questions that everyone has submitted. Thank you so much for doing that, guys. A couple of really quick housekeeping items are going to go over. Uh, it would be tough not to mention who our highest scoring person was this year, or this round for the R slash Fantasy MLS League. That goes to Ian Grant, manager of Chins and Bellies. <laughs> I love that name, too. So congrats, man, on that. Uh, be sure to check out the disciplinary committee reports this week because there were a lot of red cards last round, and we got some players who are going to be making their way back from the U-20 World Cup. So keep an eye on that. And also the preliminary Gold Cup roster is out for, of course, the U.S., but everybody else as well. You can find some articles about that on the MLS website, and there's a couple of posts on r slash MLS that have them all listed out. So consider those when you're making your long-term planning for your fantasy team. So moving right on, we're just going to get to the questions. Uh, we're going to start with the general questions for round 15. This question came from Casey in Seattle, and he wants to know, who has been our most unexpectedly helpful or above-average player this season? About that, Simon. So here's the thing about this question. If I had a, a most unexpectedly helpful or above average player, I might be doing a little bit better. Uh, but I guess I'll take the easy answer and say Benny Failhaber. Uh, and I'll explain that. It's There was always the expectation that Benny would be like a pretty good option because of his production last year. But I don't think that uh, too many people, or at least me, expected him to be so far and away the best player in fantasy. Uh, I think part of him being so good and maybe that not being foreseen is that he's been 
Uh, one, you know, playing at a higher level than arguably any time in his career. And two, the many weeks of, of absence from Graham Zusi that's given him more chances to uh, take free kicks, more room to be this team's sole creator. So, yeah, I didn't really expect him to be the best player in fantasy. No, I definitely agree. That's the easy answer for me. Uh, anybody else want to jump in with that? Or do we do we have anybody that disagrees that, that Benny Failhaber is sort of the everyone's underdog that's shown brightly? I'll jump in, man. It's tough to call Benny Failhaber an underdog. But uh, for me, I think Kofi Opare and, and Hoybury, those two kind of in, in conjunction have had different stretches throughout the year where you're able to get big-time shutout points on the defensive back line for about $5 million a pop. And if you were able to get into those guys early and ride them while they were having a really good stretch, that made a big difference for a lot of people, and it really allowed you to be flexible in your lineup and go get some big boys like the Benny Falhavers of the world that really uh, that really push you farther ahead. But you can't argue with you know four to seven points a week from guys that really are on the bargain bin. Yeah, and I would have thrown in Kai Kamara as well. He's been such a super consistent forward for such a cheap price. I know a lot of people were looking at those 10 million plus guys, but I think he started. Was he was he under nine when he, was, he first started? Yeah, he was. Um, I was actually that's. I was just about to bring that up. He, uh, I believe, he started at eight million, and I, I believe he started at eight million, and so that means he's gained you know 1.1 million, um, and the production that he's had has been stellar. I was stupid and had him, I believe, for the first uh, had him for the first game. Didn't produce, dropped him, and then he just kind of took off from there. So, yeah, I think for me, Giovinco has been oh. a good eye opener. I mean, you talk about a player who's brought some unexpected fantasy points to the game. I was really high in Kaká going into the season, but I think Giovinco's shown us that he should have been that guy, that Kaká, so to speak. And, uh, you know, even with Gold Cup coming up, I think he's going to even he's gonna do even bigger things. So I'm looking forward to it. We're talking about Javinko, and that is a good lead into our next question because he's one of those big money players. It's actually paying off. Uh, Rolling Carey sent in the question asking, which big money players who are not going to be playing necessarily for, for this round but are still worth keeping? On our bench, uh, example is Javinko. Uh, so I'd like to just expand this into just general draft strategies because we got a lot of buys this week. Everyone's going to be dealing with: Are you going to play a full starting eleven? Are you just going to think about sixteen and seventeen coming up, or are you going to try to to really take advantage of this wild card and and play some catch up within your head to heads and in the overall leagues? Uh, how about you, guy? Um, well, <clears throat> I don't think it makes any sense personally to put a big money player on your bench for one week. I think. With the 10 teams that are available this week, there's still plenty plenty of players to pick, and by the time Game Week 17 rolls around, you'll have four free transfers plus appropriate point hits available in Game Week 17 that I wouldn't I wouldn't hamstring yourself this week to bring in a Giovinco just to have him sit there and then have your whole team suffer. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I agree with that. I've, I've always been a big proponent of not having more than maybe you know a five million dollar bench player like a Maganto, a Baji, um, a Sordo, a Pare, a Woodbury, whatever um, on your bench. I mean, you know, you can definitely spend 
$12 million on another player like a Dempsey or Kaká or stacking your midfield or even trying, you know, putting a punt on Oba or something like that. There's a lot more options in keeping, you know, $11-plus million on your bench. That being said, though, I think my strategy going forward is I'm going to trap where we put really basement-priced semi-starters on our bench just an emergency. Um... But with the rotations that we're seeing with double game weeks, and I think I'm going to start putting maybe like an eight to nine million dollar player on the bench just in case. Um, like a starter this week, I'll probably have a, a high-powered starter on my bench just for coverage. Um, you're going to get the value from them if they do well. There's their price is still going to go up for you, and I've been. I mean, really, we've lost out so many points by like a Baji coming in for one point or. You know, a Dia maybe coming in for a point or two. I, I think that maybe kind of going toward a more typical fantasy strategy going forward, having a big power, you know, placeholder there on the bench would be a good idea. Well, is this a round where people might start to move away from a budget back or maybe even add some more defenders with only 10 people playing? I think so. I think, I think that with this... With this wild card, it's not about, for me, the double game week. For me, it's more about cleaning up the bench... You know, having your two to three dummy players on the back end that are never going to play, that are just really the lowest you can buy, but then having a more serviceable bench that you can actually use to gain points for for those times in auto-subs when, oh, look, my defender isn't playing again this week in a double game week or something. Um, I think I think when I go back and look at my teams over the weeks, I've lost out on more points by not having the appropriate sub on the bench than I have investing too much on my on my starting eleven. Very nice. Have you tried to do any switcheroos? Because this would be an ideal time for that with so many teams in a buy. I've not done a switcheroo, and that's just a family thing for me. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, nub. Nub. I know I know the strategy, and it's better than the caparoo, believe me, but I don't set myself up to do a switcheroo just because you just never know if you're going to be around to make that change if needed. I mean, if you, if you have the time, do it, obviously. Um... I would rather have a high-powered auto-sub than have to rely on my availability for a switcheroo, though. Is anybody else considering to just go with a no-bench at all? Throw all your money into the team? Are you guys all with Guy right here? I'm probably, I'm probably not going to go to the extent of having two or three bench players that are that are full starters, but I may just have, like you said, just have one guy that is a definite starter, is definitely has the potential to get points and uh, everybody else just be the the minimum scrub guys. Sounds like solid advice. Well, this next question we're going to give to Corolla. It comes from Chris J.D. Grady, and he wants to know what are the top three teams to load up on for this round that have players that are going to be long-term. And for him, long-term is four to five rounds. Uh, but I'm also going to say, let's consider, are there any teams that we should avoid getting players for? Yeah, so I think the obvious three are Seattle, Montreal, and New England. All three have pretty favorable fixtures looking out four to five weeks. Um, all three of them got a double game week coming up, and they're playing this week, so 
my team is pretty stacked full of those three teams right there. Um, as far as teams to avoid, I'm, I'm really not a fan of the fixture list I'm seeing in Dallas, Houston, Vancouver, and San Jose. Um, I'm not a big fan of any of those teams anyways in terms of fantasy, so I've been mostly avoiding them to begin with. So... You know, I like that you picked Montreal. That kind of uh, ties into a recent Extra Time Radio episode I heard with uh, Ben the Dancing Bear that was on. Uh, Montreal is an away team, and we saw a whole bunch of upsets with that. Is, is that someone you'd agree, Andrew, that, that might be worth backing this week? Yeah, I think they've got some obvious guys, but my problem with them, other than, say, like, Piatti, is you're looking at... There's a, there's a high level of randomness as to who's going to play on those wings and how productive they're going to be. Is Dilly Duca going to be healthy? Is he going to be the Duca that we saw against Club America? Or is he going to be the disappearing Dilly Duca that you tend to see for two-thirds of the MLS season? Andres Romero, I, I really like him as a player. Do I like him as a fantasy play? Not really. But Piatti, I think, is a guy that, that fell out of favor early because of all the bye weeks, because of all the CCL action. Uh, but he's definitely going to be in my team Going forward, I mean, to be honest with you guys, I haven't made my transfers yet, so I'm, I'm sitting here taking uh, copious notes for, uh, <laughs> for my own team in tomorrow's starting lineup. So uh, when, you, when you hear your advice spouted as though I, uh, as though I came up with it, no, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. But uh, I would agree on Montreal. They're just hard to figure out. Um, I just don't know week to week who's going to be playing for them, and I think that's been the most frustrating thing for um, – Casual players, for sure, because, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're one of the people on this roundtable, you're paying attention to all the different things that you have to to be an effective fantasy manager. But, man, this, this year has been pretty um, pretty frustrating for those folks out there that make a play that seems right based on brand names and then double with game weeks or injuries or call-ups uh, throw, a, throw a wrench in your situation. As for the 15, 16, and 17, I still have my wild card. And I don't think there's going to be any better time than ahead of 17 to use it. So my strategy here is to uh, to have a full strength 11 for round 15, try to pick up some points there, set myself up for, for 16 with two free transfers, maybe negative 8, negative 12. If I have to, probably negative 8 uh, in 16, and then hit the wild card for 17 and try to use that as a jumping off point for the rest of the season. Well, let me ask you guys something. Um, I mean, I've been... I've been very, very big on Montreal for the past three game weeks, setting yourself up for this uh, game week. All my punts have had at least one Montreal player being Simon, Toya, Piotti, Jack Mack. Um, I personally, I think Piotti is a must-have, but um, Simon, I mean, he's had, if you look at it, since game week 10, four points, game week 11, nine points, game week 12, five points, game week 13, four points, game week 14, double game week last week, five and four points respectively. So, I mean, for a 7.6 defender with a very favorable schedule, you know he's a starter. He scored one goal in the past uh, five games. Um, I think that that's, that's a really good pickup to have for, for the next, um, you know, four to five game weeks. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you no I'm with you, I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Charles. Oh, I was just going to say, he... Uh, he hasn't had a single-digit uh, CBI week yet. He's had 10 or more CBIs every single game he's played in, so he's going to get defending bonus points regardless of whether or not they give up 
uh, the clean sheet. Yeah, I was doing some uh, research on Simon actually, and I looked at his uh, what was this, his tackles and his interceptions, and they're right on par right now with Omar Gonzalez. And I think Gonzalez has like six games in hand on him. I mean, really, if you if you take out Simon's stats to the total game weeks that other players have had, he would be the Benny Fail Hopper of his position <laughs> yeah. at the level he's producing. Yeah, he's averaging 13 CBIs per game, give or take. Which and he's is on PKs. Two points, two free points every week. And, of course, they're playing New York City FC, which they did get a win last week after quite a while, but their home record is not fantastic. I think their last two games at home have been draws, so uh, there, there's chances there. There's definite chances there. Andy gets forward on sub pieces. Mm. It's big time. I've had had some good good results from from big defenders this year. But Travis uh, touched on some bonus points, and so I thought he was the perfect person for this next question. Comes from Bit No Bad, Nomad, and he said that since there are so few teams playing this week, are you doing anything different to gain or protect your team value? And I know with all your bonus point articles, that's a key area that players can help set themselves up, get over that threshold to get some more value. Yeah, of course you would ask me the question about team value since this season I my team value has been absolutely horrible. <laughs> uh first two seasons I've played of fantasy MLS with the uh with the uh price changes uh relating to the transfers in and transfers out, that was so much easier for me to predict. And so I, I played that to my advantage and and basically stacked up my team value the first half of the season and then just used it for the second half of the season. This season, I'm I'm only at 121.4 right now, uh, which is actually a pretty astonishing feat considering I'm in the top 300. I don't know how I've managed to score points and yet have a, a low team value, but... Uh, to answer the question, uh, what I'm going to try to do is get rid of the the players that I had on my bench, like the Woodberries and the uh, maybe Burling, I don't know, uh, but the players that are seeing minutes that I've been clinging on to to get that extra one point for the round just in case someone doesn't play, and then ultimately they they cost me uh, 0.1 or 0.2 on my team value for that one point that I'm getting, which to me isn't worth it at all. Um, so I'm going to try to to clean up some of those guys and uh, and instead use that extra 0.5 uh, in price difference to to maybe boost up my starting eleven a little bit better and and pick up the Giovinkos and the Dempseys and the Piatis or or more of them uh, to help solidify my my team. Well said, well said. You're definitely in the gain side of that of that question, then, aren't you? <laughs> I, I will need to be on the gain side of that question. We'll go ahead and go to the next one. That's a great answer. Uh, this one comes from Ramblin' Ann, and uh, we'll let Skylar answer this one. How many rounds should I be planning ahead for? My experience so far this season is that more than two seems to backfire due to injuries, call-ups, and roster shuffle. Uh, just look at DC as an example. Thoughts? 
Yeah, I think in general two rounds is a pretty good number um, for me. This round presents a little bit more of a, you know, it's a little bit trickier. You've got the unlimited transfers, so it really does allow you to plan for this round, the next round, then a little bit into round 17, which is, of course, the DGW Bonanza. So uh, my team right now, I'm actually, I've got a couple of Philadelphia Union players stocked on the bench. I've actually got a Brian Sylvester as my backup goalkeepers, free up a little salary cap, but also looking forward to that round 17 where they've got two home games. Um, so, you know, this this round with the unlimited transfers is a little bit different than others because you are allowed to, uh, you know, you're allowed to basically roll out anybody you want this week um, while also keeping in mind, you know, the crew and the fire have a bye game next week, but then you're also looking at who's playing this week that has double game weeks, round 17. So I'd say this round, you know, you're looking at about three rounds of, of prep work. But in general, just like Andrew said earlier, this season's just been unbelievable, unbelievably tough just to try to plan something out. I mean, I've had instances where David Villas, my captain, he gets scratched as he's warming up for a game. Um, Hoyberry, who's been a huge value play for a lot of people, he I think he was out with a stomach bug a couple of weeks ago. You just you can't make stuff like that up. You can't plan for it. So for me, I think two to three weeks, two to two to three rounds is probably about the max. Um, the good thing is though that you know you're right there with, along with everybody else struggling with the same factors. So you're not getting hurt quite as bad as it might seem. Um, just know that you're right there with with all of us taking the hits too. Definitely. I know for myself, I, I think two sounds good. And even for people who are maybe more casual, going any more than two can really get, get tough and, and just cumbersome. What I like to do is I'll look at specific people for maybe two weeks out. And then after that, I look at the schedule and think, well, maybe someone from this team is what I'm going to try to target. And so I'll, I'll write down a few teams for the next two or three weeks saying these, these are guys that I'm hoping are going to be good but just with the way form's been going so far as as, as uh, has been mentioned it can it can switch drastically so that might change by the time I actually get to that third week but uh, as far as specific players I like two but but you're right DC has been awful for knowing who was going to play I said stay away from DC from the get-go. No one listened to me. Now you're all paying the price. Sounding like Simon Borg. It was like throwing darts trying to figure out who to play. So it uh, it was frustrating. I actually ended up with Espindola on my roster last round who was pretty high on everybody's radar when DC first started their big you know, three-game DGW streak and uh, ended up missing the majority of that. And then I, I was able to uh, cash in last round, thankfully, but yeah, he, he was one of the more frustrating players of that run, too. You guys going to keep uh, SB for this this upcoming game week? I like him against Orlando City. I think on a, you know, on a short slate, I think he's definitely high on the radar as far as the forward, forwards go, so um, I'm eyeing him. He's not locked in yet. Only thing I don't like about that is, is Arietta's form has been so hot. And on turf, you just have to think that, that Olsen's going to... Some bugs, this, that, and the other. But then you mix in the turf equation for... 
you've got a big question mark as to how guys are going to use their players because, you know, it's the old Thierry Henry thing. If he's even a little bit hurt, you're going to see a lot of those guys not play, and that's really what makes it complicated. That's a great point. Especially, especially since they're the last game of the week, so you'll have no idea whether or not he, uh, Arietta or Espindola is playing. That's why I got Maganto on the bench ready to come in because I know he's going to do well with Keen out. Maganto's going to go big. Magneto. <laughs> That's the only thing I can ever read when I see his name. So this next question that we have comes from Mike that Tiger, and we'll let we'll let Andrew go ahead and keep laying some wisdom down on us. He says that he's had some trouble for the first few weeks finding consistent defenders. Who are your recommendations going forward, or should I just go cheap and invest in more dependable midfielders and forwards? The old unmute here. Uh, Got to hide my typing. Uh, you know, I think I think defenders are. Uh, they're a tough one. I mean, you can look at the midfield, and I think it's it's generally a better idea when you're in those those kind of um, sexy positions, so to speak, the ones with the big payoffs, is that you do go out and get the Juvencos. You, you do go get the Clint Dempsey's because the payoff is just so massive that if you don't get that and all your competitors do, you're in a bad place. The nice thing about defenders is, is in many ways, that's kind of where, where the, your team differentiates itself from everybody else because you can go find guys that are a little more off the radar that have a, a price point that makes them affordable to have different mixtures. I have tended to go this year with one high-priced defender, and that's generally been Omar Gonzalez since he's been healthy. And then I'll have another guy who's in that, as you said, that Laurent Simon range of you know mid-sevens. And then I'll try to find a bunch of just at least – regular or semi-regular starters in between the 5 mil and 6.5 mil area and kind of rotate those through depending on matchups and form. I generally try to have at least three guys on my bench that I'm, I'm fairly sure are going to play. Um, you know, we kind of talked previously about maybe having that more expensive guy down there. I, I tend to do the same thing in which it's two guys that are on that basement pricing scale around 5.5 mil and then one guy in the sevens. Now, I'm the guy in this thing ranked a thousand something, so take that strategy <laughs> with a grain of salt. Uh, but that's my approach to defenders. You know, I, I go for one high payoff guy, and then I try to differentiate a lot. I try to get I try to get players that other people don't have, but still have had a good track record that maybe have been flying under the radar. We've talked a lot about them already: the Woodburys of the world, the Donny Toyas of the world. Before he got hurt, who Hoyberry, Opare, those types of players. But um, be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, I know at the start of the season, um, Corolla had, had written an article talking about how the goals were about to dry up for this season, and a lot of that's starting to happen now early on. It's, it's just so tough to know, especially when teams are getting the form. But uh, do you want to expand on some of that? I know you've done some, some research over the years of how the goals tend to look. Yeah, basically, I just figured that looking over the last, you know, five, six, seven years or so in terms of average goals scored per game... Uh, last year was way higher than what we had been seeing, so I figured this year was going to regress towards the mean. Um, and it's actually a lot lower than what I would have expected so far anyway. Um, but I, I think some of the teams are starting to 
figure things out offensively a lot more. Um, unfortunately, a lot of these top attacking players are going to be taken away from us with Gold Cup coming up. So it's going to be going to be interesting to see what happens from here on out. So are you a budget defender man or a or a big guns defender man? Um, you know, Andrews like to have good ideas in general. So I'm I'm with Weeby here that I've been going kind of with one big expensive guy, one mid-range guy and a couple bargain basement guys. It's been working out all right for me lately. I like this question. Let's just go down the line and let everyone chime in. Guy, what about you? Um, well, a lot of my my big successes this year have been a uh, very strict rule of only starting three defenders. Um, and I've completely thrown out trying to com predict clean sheets. I think a lot of players get trapped into, I need to get a clean sheet this week, I need to get a clean sheet, and I don't even look at it. It's it's too random, it's, it's too hard to predict. I go kind of what Travis was saying, I go the best player on the board that fits my budget for three defenders that has great CBIs for the week. Um, and it's worked out incredibly well. Like, I don't, if I can start five midfielders, that's what I'm going with. I I would make defenders your last concern going forward. If you get a complete start over this this week, start on three defenders that you could live with and just be surprised whatever the results I give you. Jason, big or, or, big or budget? Um, for me, I have one. I only play one big defender, where it you know be Omar Gonzalez, um, Brad Evans, um, Olave, anything like that. And then I usually go with two cheap ones, like a Dia and Polster or Woodbury or an Allen or something like that. And my reasoning behind that is because I've been having at least I've had a Baji or a Ramos or something like that on the bench. You know, at least two bench players that are worth you know the the low to mid fives or even the high fours and you know them rotating in and I've actually been looking at um, schedule coming up I know it's been very hard to predict clean sheets and things of that nature but I'm just kinda of playing the odds and rolling the dice with hey who do I think is gonna get a clean sheet who you know what defenders what keepers have been in form and then I've been putting it I've been always switching between I've always just had three defenders but then switching between a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 three, three, um, kind of depends on matchups and, um, you know, my price points. Skyler, bigger budget? I've always gone budget, but I'm also a huge fan of defenders that play out of position. Um, for instance, I'm Start. loving Orlando City right now. They've got Eric Avila and Breck Shea, both listed as a defender within the MLS fantasy game, but playing as a midfielder for Orlando City. So I know Travis is all about the CBIs. I'm all about the, the added um, offensive opportunities. So for me, um, you know, guys like Chris Tierney, of course, Jeff, Loren Jeff Lorenowitz with his penalty kick duty. Um, and then, yeah, Avila, I think he's 5.7 or 5.8 right now. So I think he's an excellent target, especially with Shea taking off for Gold Cup here soon. I think he's going to be counted on to produce a little bit more. So, yeah, that's that's me on budget, but also try to – I might pay up for an attacker. Simon, bigger budget. Uh, I tend to go with nearly all budget defenders if I can. I think attacking players are, are, are a little bit better. I don't know why. I don't really have very good reasoning for this. Maybe that's why I'm not doing so well. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I tend to prefer budget ones, and if I'm going to get a bigger-priced guy, it's got to be someone who's always getting lots of CBIs. So, Travis, bigger budget. Definitely budget. Um, I, I'm along the same philosophy of having at least one decent player, whether it's uh, spending on... Uh, Olave or or whoever. I mean, my my big guy right now on my current roster is Simon. He's the most expensive defender I have, and I'm I'm only from from now on I'm only going to be playing three defenders in the back. So I'm really looking at, uh, or at least thinking about looking at transferring as much money as I can with this wild card or this unlimited transfer. Uh, into my midfield and forward range so that I can pick up uh, more of the Dempsey's and Giovinco's. Excellent. It seems, if nothing else, most of this panel seems to lean towards the three-divender approach. So, excellent. Excellent advice. I hope that helped all of you guys there. Before we wrap up this this little segment, uh, is there anything else that you guys would like to mention about any, any players that we haven't talked about or any must-have players or any keepers? I know we didn't talk a lot about keepers. Um, I would, right now, I think, and not just because I'm a Portland honk, but um, I think the way uh, we were talking before that we start recording, uh, Via Fania for a real even low-priced defender. He's getting some free kicks lately. got an assist last week. Um, that defense is rolling into form. And then uh, I'm looking at S- Stefan Fry from Seattle. I think their, their next pictures are going to line up really well for, for Fry to get some big points. Yeah, my uh, my must-have players are either for keepers. I think that Bush is a really, really good um, sleeper pick for this one. I mean, 4.3% ownership at 5.0 for a starter that has some favorable fixtures coming up. Um, like I said, Simon and Mears, in my opinion, are two must-have players for the defense. I know it is quite a bit of money to invest in defense, but the fixtures are just too good to pass up, in my opinion. Um, and I know a lot of people uh, are getting Dempsey and things like that, but just be on the lookout for Dempsey. Uh, I, if Phil is back, then it could be a good pickup, but you know I don't really know what's going to happen with him. Piotti is definitely a, a must-have in the forwards. I think you just roll the dice and pick someone you think is hot. Speaking of random absences, I mean, the Dempsey baby absences, are you kidding me? Uh, I know. I, I almost got Javinko last week, but I thought, no, no, I'll, 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 I bet Dempsey will play. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. About Kai Kamara, he had a baby and showed up to play. <laughs> Come on. It's called dedication. It's called priorities. Uh, <laughs> it's helping your fantasy team out. Right. But there's a man who plays fantasy right there. All right. Well, we're going to move on to this next section. Uh, really excited that we were able to have Andrew join us tonight because I know a lot of people listening have had questions and at least opinions about a lot of the rule changes. So he's going to, I hope, give us some insights onto this and at least let us all kind of know what the ideas were and and just we'll see what happens. So we're going to start out... I definitely do my best. (laughs) We're going to start out just the general question. Um, Could you just give us an idea of what the overall goals were for the rule changes that were this year, and if you've been happy with how they've panned out so far? I think that, that one of the important things, well, I guess I'll start with this, is that 
it's a group that makes these decisions, and it's a group um, of about five people, of course, that I, I am one of. One of the things to remember, and I think, I think that this, this applies across the board to anything you see on MLSsoccer.com, is that we have to serve a large number of constituencies, so to speak. So while we know that the base of our traffic and of the interest are people that are, are hardcore, dedicated fans, I mean, I just, you can't argue that. And it's certainly in the fantasy game, I think anybody listening to this is on, on that track. What we need to grow are casual fans, are people that have never played the game. And ultimately, what's going to make this game great is having as many people as we can participate and participate throughout the course of the season. So a lot of what we did was to try to make the game a little bit more accessible to those fans, which is one reason why we brought back the auto-sub. The manual sub idea, I think it was a good idea in the sense that it encouraged gameplay and it, it, it made it, it made the game a little bit uh, more difficult, which kind of appealed to some of the more hardcore players. You know, you guys are mentioning stand up till one o'clock in Paris to switch your lineup and stuff like that. <laughs> props to props to you. But I think the majority of players aren't able to do those things or aren't willing to do those things. So a lot of the, the changes we've made tried to go along that. I think you know, I am I am a, I am somewhat happy with the price change differences. I think it, it's worked out in some ways. I think that we had hoped that it would be a little bit more dynamic, and that it that the market would fluctuate a little bit more and would um, would reward people for taking chances more and and wouldn't punish them quite as much as it has, for instance, in a red card situation. So what we were hoping to do there was just to make the market more interesting for people and also to divorce it from the transfer numbers. We just thought that that was not a, that was not a true reflection of player value. It was just kind of like, okay, which, which cliff are the, you know, for lack of a better phrase, which cliff are the lemmings running off this week? Um, <laughs> so that's where we wanted to go with that. Um, you know, it's, it's probably going to be easier for me if, if there, you know, if there's specific rule changes that you guys either have issues with or have questions about. Because to be honest with you, we, you know, the process when we did this is is months and months ago. So it'll remind me as it comes up. And uh, you know, I know that there are some there's some aspects of it that haven't worked the way that we had hoped, and there's some aspects that we have that have worked the way we hoped. And I think that's always going to be the case. Um, certainly. By, by living in Reddit a little bit and, and going through the Reddit MLS threads and stuff like that, the amount of detail that folks pay is, is incredibly impressive to me, and that's definitely a, a resource that we're going to be using far more than we have before, I would say, in the future to really shape our rules and shape our practices and, and try to figure out the best ways to make it the best game possible, but also the most accessible game possible. Great. So Andrew already mentioned a little bit about the price changes, and that's what our next question is about, and he's given his opinion. So I'm going to open this up for the rest of you guys on the panel right now, and we've had 14 rounds of the price changes, and I know everyone had an opinion coming into it if we liked to meet people like Glory Man United, who submitted this question, has been a fan of it. And then I'm in that same, that same boat. I've, I've enjoyed it. But for the rest of you guys, has your opinion changed on the price change system since we started? And if so, how? 100%. I was the very first one on the first podcast I joined with you guys saying, 
I did not like the price change the way that it was now compared to the transfer price change, and I think that's because I was kind of stuck in the ways of last year's Fantasy MLS, and then also the past couple years I've played Fantasy Premier League, because that's kind of how it goes, but not having to you know wake up at 3 in the morning and look for Green Line Army's changes online to see who's going to change and go up and down, um, I think that this is better for the casual player, and then also... I do like the aspect of how it can reward um, of uh, when you take a punt on a player and hopefully that he does well and hopefully gets a clean sheet and all the defenders, um, you know, raising value. So um, I personally like it. So cheers and props to you guys for doing that. And I like how it's making more of the casual fan be more engaged with the MLS and the fantasy MLS community. I think the one thing that, that I would say on it and, and kind of in response to that is that I think that we're still going to have a process of really polishing the formula, and I think that this year in some ways is going to be a um, almost like a test case for us to go back and look at the data and say, okay, well, you know, people really got punished for this, or people didn't get rewarded enough for that, or how can we make, say, defensive fielders more of an impact in the game to kind of, to kind of you know, because... As it stands, you're going to go after Oba, you're going to go after Deuce, you're going to go after Jovinko, but, you know, the true beauty of the game is if, you know, for players, is if you can really go out and find a, you know, a Darwin Sermon who, you know, increases in value and has good point totals, how can we really make those guys' value shine through? So I think that's that's a, a long-term process for us that we're still we're still trying to figure out. Yeah, I'm totally with Jason on this one. Um, I was a big hater on the new price change system when it was first announced. But now that I've got, you know, half a season under our belt here, I love it. Um, I, I think I reflected back on the last couple of years and realized that with the way it worked before, so many of my transfers, I had to either choose between gaining value or going for the player that I thought was going to score the most points. And so this year it's the same thing. Um, so that makes it a heck of a lot easier for transfer decisions and also just the timing of it um, before you basically had to jump on your transfers right away as soon as possible to be able to catch those price jumps uh, this year you can wait until you can see some lineups come out so we're not you know having a bunch of zeros posted because we made transfers too early um, and, and I think the way to take advantage of the way the price system works now is to be willing to take more hits, um, you know, to just bring in somebody that's got a really great fixture that you might not have been able to bring in due to injuries or international absences or whatever. Um, so I, I think from here on out for the next seven, eight weeks or so, I'm definitely going to be taking more hits than what I was early in the season to try to gain some value. I want to let Travis chime in one thing real quick, too, um, unless uh, you're an, on uh, the negative side. You had mentioned earlier, Travis, kind of bemoaning the loss of some gaining value due to the, the new price system. Are you, does that influence your overall opinion? Um, a little bit. I mean, it is a ton easier, and I will say that I do not miss staying up until 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., trying to figure out who, uh, which player was going to increase in value uh, before I made my transfers uh, 
right after a game week. I had alarm set on my phone. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that is so much nicer, and and I mean, it's really out of my control. So in that aspect, it it makes it less of a pain um, in terms of having to micromanage it. Uh, It makes it more of a pain for me in terms of having no control over, uh, I mean, aside from trying to guess which player is going to score the most points in any given week, uh, it kind of feels almost like you're getting dinged twice if you pick the wrong guy because you lose the points and then you lose the the money. Or, or I mean, it's kind of like the rich get richer and the poor get poorer because the, the, the guys that are scoring the most points are going to have the biggest bankroll to afford the better players to keep scoring the bigger points. Um, I mean, I don't know how much of that we've seen so far, but... I mean, it's it's something that I think people express concerns with early in the season. Uh, I don't know how much of that has played out uh, so far. Um, maybe I'm just bitter because I have a horrible team value, and I, I kept Woodbury for way too long, and he's cost me, like, uh, almost half a million. Um, one thing that I had actually uh, thought about was maybe for next season, uh, since this is sort of like the first trial run of it, would be have some kind of um, hybrid uh, where you still do the points uh, or the uh, the price changes based on the points scored, but instead of having it be instantaneous, uh, kind of rack up all of the price changes until the end of the game week. And then when the transfer window opens, um, the price changes apply in a gradual basis towards the players. Uh, Like, for example, say Giovinco goes out and scores 12 points like he does every week. Um, At the end of the round, so let's say... Monday, it's determined he's going to go up 0.2. Uh, so Monday, he's still at his value. Tuesday, he's up 0.1. Wednesday, he's up 0.2. So what that would do would be to give the players the opportunity to get on board the Giovinco train. Um, Although the people that were already on it would definitely get the points for it regardless. Uh, the people that didn't have him could pick him up early and take the risk of uh, making those early transfers and not being sure of whether or not he's going to play next week. But being able to pick up a little bit of that value that he'd gained the previous week that, that you know is going to hit... Uh, I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about as far as some way to give that little bit of risk reward of early transfers versus uh, waiting at the last minute and not quite getting as much of a, a price reward as you would. 
Yeah, I definitely can understand that. I think it's a, at least on the planning side, when we're trying to think about it and how it will play out in the, the real world, so to speak. And you have to remember that when we did this, we, we used the numbers from last year to try to, to make as close a predicted model as we could. But obviously, you can't predict a, a Giovinco going off like that. It's a question of, do you, who are you trying to reward? Are you trying to reward the people that, as you said, got on the train early? Or are you trying to provide somewhat of a level playing field that, for people that want to get on the train? I think our decision was that, you know, you can reasonably assume that a player like Giovinco is going to be in line most weeks to potentially have a point to price increase. So, you know, it's tough, to, it's tough in my book to reward people who get on the train late when they had they knew full well that that guy could jump up. Now a Woodbury, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I think you made I made a good point there when you were talking about him and that to realize the value of of that price change, you actually have to transfer the player out because if you hold on to him, you're just you you're still in flux with however his future performances go to actually bank that money and be able to spend it on other players. You have to transfer them out, and that's the big decision-making process, and that's really the tough part um, in free transfers and taking negative fours and saying, okay, well, what's more important, this point two that I know that this guy could lose, or holding him on my roster and not using the transfer. So it's all uh, it's a tap dance, so to speak, and uh, you know, it's interesting to hear all the different thoughts here, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there will be a lot more that help me kind of nail down maybe uh, some of our direction and some of our big questions as we go into next year. Yeah, there were several interesting questions uh, and ideas on the forum. One of them I wanted to bring up to at least just get your initial reaction to it came from Ramblin' Ann, and uh, she said, what about the idea of a pending transfers? So it'd be kind of like you could have a, a sub who would, well, he's, he's going to come on if I have my, my auto sub on, but it'd be for transfers. You could say, here's what I'm going to make as my transfers unless I do something else. And that way at the end of the, de of the deadline, if you're away from your computer, these guys are going to transfer in for you. If you're not, you can come in and sort of activate your manual transfers and, uh, and you won't be screwed for, for missing a deadline. I thought it was a unique idea, if, if nothing else. Yeah, I like the idea of even even maybe like as a placeholder tool for people who are playing around in their team and, and you know, trying to figure out the right mix and as the week goes on, um, bouncing back and forth between different players, maybe the, the concept of, okay, these are pending and I can go in and manually override before the, the deadline as, as uh, Rambling Ann said. Um, but if I leave it and I don't manage to make it back to my computer, those transfers will be made and my lineup will be set like that. I, I think that's probably just on the scope side of just, you know, do we have the, the capabilities within the game to actually make that happen? Because it's not something that, that, you know, I think ultimately we would like to be building it internally and we would like to have complete control. But as, as is the case now, that's not the case. So... We have uh, we have ISM building it for us, and you know obviously we work through them to to make the changes and the design elements that we want. But there are certain limitations in in scope and in all sorts of other different things. But it's an interesting idea. I personally would love that because I do a lot of tinkering through Thursday, as you know, if we're using this as an example, tinker through Thursday, and I'll take screenshots of teams that I'm considering as I you know as I kind of mess around and see what my budget can handle and what, what my transfers 
the best route with transfers, whether to take hits are. So I think that could be a cool tool for people to be able to lock in a team that they aren't committed to, um, but understand that they could be committed to if they don't if they don't get it done down the line. Yeah, it's a really good idea. It could also help with some of these crazy late and unknown injuries that we hear about closer to, to kickoff times. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the next question came from CPP or CPNN, and it was about defensive midfielders. And Andrew already kind of mentioned that of, of exploring new ways to sort of see some of these undervalued players with a little bit less explosive potential. Um, so I'm going to let let uh, Jason ask a question. He said he wanted to to Andrew a second ago. Yeah. Um, so I've actually been thinking about this for uh, this entire season. I know that you know even last season. Um, there were a lot of players that would play out of position. Um, so let's just say for this year, let's say like a Polster or even an Allen where Polster is a center defensive mid but now playing uh, center back. And then uh, Allen from RSL is listed as a defender but playing more of as a forward or even a midfielder. Um, would there be any way to maybe, let's say, if that player plays out of position for you know, five or more games, to transfer him from a defender or midfielder to the new position that he's playing. Yeah, it's something that is obviously a you know it's a it's a question we all have and like obviously this dude's not a center back or obviously this guy's not playing in that position. I think that the my understanding of it is that the way the system works, once we go in and set positions at the beginning of the year, you can't you can't switch it around for the simple reason that somebody out there has that player more than likely and that fits into a defined roster spot on their team. So if some if you know if if 8% of folks out there have Polster and we move him from midfield to to defense, that's really going to, you know, all of a sudden their roster is no longer compliant. And so that that I think is the big issue with that. Gotcha. Um, is the defined roster slots that you have, and if you start moving people around like that, all of a sudden you've you've rendered somebody's team um, not within the rules of the game. Sure. Well, but I mean, even if like this year, since we've had obviously the four wild cards that are coming up, I mean, I, I can't foresee next year how many wild cards we're going to have. Um, but what if you know at maybe at that wild card break, then you could switch that player if he's been playing for you know, 14 game weeks at that position because then at a wild card, obviously everyone's going to change up their lineup and things like that. Could that be an option maybe in the future? Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, I like like that idea of kind of like a, hey, it's almost like a game update within the game saying, okay, well, we know these things. We know know that the, the action on the field said that we got this, not necessarily wrong, but, you know, the fact of the matter is it's guesswork. God knows how Frank Klopas is going to use a draft pick. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I, I think that's I think that there is some potential there, and that's definitely something that I think that, that, that can be discussed. And uh, the question is how much, you know, what's the what's the back-end process when you hit that, that week? Like how, how heavy is it? How, how much awareness do you have to give the people to say, hey, you may have this guy, he's going to switch up because – you know, the last thing that you want is people out there that, that aren't listening to this podcast and paying attention to all the different content that gets produced and saying, hey, WTF, Holster is my midfielder, and just not understanding. So uh, I like the idea, though. I think it's definitely something that I'll bring up uh, as we as we start to ramp up for next year. Awesome. Thank you. 
So I got another question that uh, we'll give Andrew a little break for a second and open this next one up for, for everyone. We'll start with, with Travis. This comes from Off Constantly, and he says, the worst part of Fantasy MLS is the weird subs. Uh, it puts way too much emphasis on waiting until the last minute to bring in subs. You know we're going to play the first games. It's awful and makes casual players non-competitive. Uh, and what he's advocating is to have two budgets. One budget for your starting 11, so that you always have that, and a second budget just for your subs. Yeah, um, I mean, the roster churn and just not knowing on any given day who's going to play in the starting 11 for any team ever is uh, is tricky. Uh, some of that was, was mitigated by the, uh, the auto subs that were brought back, which is, I mean, great. Uh, that definitely helped the casual fan. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, that's part of your strategy. You you add a couple players on your bench uh, that will see minutes, and if you're a casual player and you're not watching the rosters, then they'll auto-sub in if, if your starting 11 doesn't play. But... Um, Talking about having two budgets, uh, one for starting 11 and one for subs, the biggest technical difficulty I could see with that would be that in order to make that work, uh, the game would have to somehow restrict you from using whatever players you deem as subs in your starting 11. Otherwise... I could say, oh, hey, I've got a regular roster budget of $100 million. I've got a sub-roster of $30 million. I'm going to stick Kaka as my sub, and so I'm going to spend $11 million of my sub-money on him. But, oh, hey, I'm going to start him. So, I mean, if, if, if the game didn't restrict who was going to... or if it didn't restrict you from not being able to play those players in starting positions, then it would be, I mean, it would just kind of be the same thing where why not just add more money to the game, in which case everybody's just going to add more money to their starting 11 anyway. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's technically possible, but I think it might be a little bit too complicated uh, for the casual fan. I don't know. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head of of how that could be potentially abused with here's my 100 million starting team and then I have a 12 million guy on my bench so I'll swap this 4 million guy with this 12 million guy and now I've got 108 million starting team and then you don't. So, yeah, that would that would be it was an interesting idea. I thought I'd give some other people a chance to chime in if nobody else does and we'll we'll keep moving on. So this next question comes from rdizzle618, and he says, Andrew, any chance of getting an official FMLS app? I mean, the main way I check the score each week is on mobile, and unfortunately, FMLS website isn't as user-friendly as I'd like it to be. Well, you know, I, I came into this expecting that this question would never be asked. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, look, we, we'd love to have it, and I think that goes kind of back to um, what I was saying about us building the game in-house 
and having the and having that opportunity to build it into the app. That's that's just it's it. And I know that I know that the word scope is you know it it, it pisses me off. So would anybody else? Like it's just not in the scope right now. It's certainly something that we know that people want. I mean, hell, I want it. Like it would be great for me to have, and, I, and I'm a huge proponent of it. Um, and, and believe me, I'm pushing for it every chance I get. Um, my hope is that we'll have it next year. Can I promise that? Absolutely not. Um, but I can say, you know, without any hesitation, that it's definitely something that we're well aware of and that, that we would love to have with um, within the app. I mean, it just makes perfect sense, as I'm sure all of you know. And um, it's just a matter of, of getting it there and, and having the the people there to work on it and the people to do it and the, the time to do it. So. I think we're working towards that, and my hope is that it'll be next year. That's the that's the very hedgy, on the fence answer. There you heard it. So I guess before that's the last question we had about specific rule changes that I got from the forums. Do any of you other guys have any any just burning questions about about the rules that you want to get out, or if you heard anything mentioned by other people that you may know that you'd like to just sort of expose right now? And Travis kind of mentioned, hey, I don't want to say this because it's negative. You know, bring it. Like, you know, the whole point is that, that we'd like to improve it. And you and this group is, is obviously the, the expert user level, so you're going to have the most experience. So I, I want to hear everything personally. Well, I guess I'll jump in here because I actually think that MLS does a really good job with the rules and that the rule issues that are there are more quirks than, like, core things. Um which is, is a good starting point to me. What I think would be interesting is how to talk a little bit more about like what kind of improvements can be made to get more people to play fantasy and keep them engaged throughout the season. And I know like some people just are like, oh, well, why don't you use more prizes and maybe weekly prizes to keep people interested? And I guess that's an easy answer, but it's like throwing money at the problem. But... If the ultimate goal of MLS fantasy is, you know, like with the NFL, to further engage the audience, get them knowing the players, watching watching the games, obviously, on TV, and have ultimately MLS become a core part of their life, uh, their hobbies, whatever, I guess there probably does need to be more of an investment somehow. Um, I just, I think it's incredible. There's so much content that MLS puts out, really, for fantasy, considering the number of people who actually play the game. And I don't really have the answers, but I'm just kind of curious as to the strategy to grow the game because clearly we all really uh, care about it. Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of that. Um, one of the things that we ha we had attempted to do more of this year to, to make it a little bit more engaging for those folks that aren't at the, the upper echelon expert level, that aren't in the you know in the classic league, that aren't in the like you guys are in the 200s and the 29s or whatever it may be. Um, we really wanted to push head-to-head -head because I think that, uh, at least in my book, that's a more engaging, long-term gameplay option. Like, it's great if you're really good at the game to really push and be like, you know what, I'm going to hit, I'm trying to get in the, in the, in the two-digit zone. And so that's kind of what the dashboard this year is designed to be. Um, you know, our hopes were to make it a little bit more robust and to, like, for you to be able to go into each matchup a little bit easier and, and troll around in there a little bit and, you know, have things like in Yahoo Fantasy Football where you can talk trash and do that sort of thing. But I think that's our that's our main um, 
stumbling block right now is how do we get more people not only to, to sign up for the game, but to play the game for the entire season and not to lose interest. And we've, I, I think that you're going to see down the line here this year probably some mini tournaments jump in, and, and you know, there's, we hope that that'll help. Um, but that, that's, you know, you kind of hit the head nail on the head with the casual side. Like for us to, for, for money to arrive, I think you have to see some, some more numbers probably. And, and that's like a chicken or the egg type of question. But it's, it's, what you, it's what we're grappling with every day, I think. And I feel like this is a good time. I'm honestly surprised I did not see this question pop up in any of the threads that we posted. But I always hear people who ask for a more fantasy football format with a draft league. Is that something, personally, it's not something I'm super interested in, but is that something that's been tossed around or considered or even in a long-term plan? Oh, no doubt. I, I think tossed around every time we discuss and talk about this stuff. It's, you know, if you were going to ask us pie in the sky what we wanted, we, you know, there would be, there would be some changes. I also think that, like, you know, does the draft league and do the casual fans have that knowledge of MLS that they would need to be effective at that? What it certainly would do is make each individual league more compelling. One of the things that I think is a, um, a drawback for us right now is, for instance, I don't even play fantasy football anymore. I, I just The NFL doesn't really interest me anymore like it did. Um, but one of the, my favorite things was having multiple, you know, I had one identity on there. I had one login, but it had multiple distinctive teams, and you feel like you have a little bit more of a lifeline if one team goes to shit, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have you have more of a motivation to keep to keep coming back and revisiting and using that that service and saying you know what fantasy football doesn't suck this team I made sucks but my other team is good so there's an there's an aspect to it I mean I think we'd love to have that it's a it's a pretty big departure from what the game is now as as you kind of noted um, and ISM is also the one that does fantasy Premier League so. For them, I just don't think that's part of what they're uh, what they're focusing on, uh, especially because a lot of what the game is is, is kind of a, a pushover from UPL. And of course, my big fear, and everyone will have to pardon me if I start to move a, a little bit too far away from the fantasy side, is just that there's not always enough depth in the MLS teams to let you have maybe a, a super large league before you start to run into, uh, how often is this guy really going to, I mean, I got my Woodbury here, what's he going to do for me? I got right. I got this guy here, and so it just seems like you would get closer to your, I guess your 7 million players who aren't always guaranteed are going to have less inconsistent, or less consistent points quicker if you did a draft, beyond maybe 8 teams. Yeah, but, yeah, but for the casuals, they're, they're not going to want more than 8 or 10 players in their league, because th that makes it more... I mean, it's more of like a, a not I want I don't want to say family, but it's like more it's intimate. Yeah. Yeah, it's personal. What I would say to your point, uh, Reed, is that that fan, that that waiver wire is going to be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a I had a comment on this one actually. Uh, you know, I I feel like when we watched NFL as kids or something, you only watched your one team if it was on TV. But then fantasy football happened and even if it's like the Packers playing the Cardinals and you could care less about the teams, you're going to watch that Monday night game. 
for your fantasy team. And I think what a lot of the MLS is struggling with isn't the fact that the game is X, Y, or Z. It's the fact that we're having this discussion because it's game week 15 and half the teams aren't playing. And a lot of the casual fans, and especially a lot of the FPL fans, the English Premier League fans, cannot follow our game because there's so many bye weeks. There's so much inconsistency with how is this team going to even get these. I mean, when, when DC played seven games in three weeks and then Montreal has only got like five games after nine weeks, it's, it's almost like the league scheduling is the biggest thing working against you to find inconsistent and casual fans to come in and be like, okay, I'm going to play the game this week, and here's my roster. I don't have to worry about who isn't going to be playing this week. I want to know what's the best team of all 20 teams that's going to be playing this week. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that you're wrong there. Um, you know, unfortunately, that, that's, that's 100, and, you know, it's completely out of our control as far as this goes. That's, that's a completely different aspect of the business, and I think you know, ultimately you're thinking about stadium, you know, stadiums and, and revenue and owners and preferences on that side, and um, as it stands, unless fantasy is not, it's not pushing its way into that discussion. And I think the eight of us can get together, though. We could go bust some heads. Like, we could make this happen. Whoever sets the schedule... You know, it's just, you know, like Dallas is on a five-game road trip. Seriously? Like, we need to go talk to that guy and be like, listen, man, I can't use Blas Perez on a five-game road trip. This is not going to work for me. Like, it's, it's so many teams are set up to fit. It's, that's, in my work league, we have great, we have, like, half of us are really into it. The other half of us are checked out already because it was just too complicated to follow on any given Saturday. Yeah, it's tough. I feel you. I feel you. I'll, I'll, I'm going I'm I'm to just. I'm a big I'm gonna... dude. We can get it done. I'm gonna be fly on the wall in that scenario, and uh, I'll take I'll take copious notes. Let me tell you. I'm just loving in my head picturing guy knocking on Don Garber's door, being like, "Excuse me, why are there so many buys this week? This is ridiculous. My fantasy team isn't changing." Look at look at my avatar picture. Would you not think that I could handle Don Garber right now? I could handle Don Garber right now. I'm just saying, I wouldn't have to be too rough. Got some Garber goons. Fear the beard. Fear the beard. I don't know. It looks like you're blinking in the middle of your picture. So I don't know. You gotta get to see Garber first. I'm very sneaky. That's why. That's uh, I got, I'm always. Okay. Right. You don't want him to see your eyes. You definitely don't want him to see your eyes. <laughs> well, my, if we do have any, uh, go ahead, Julie. I, I was just gonna say, what do you guys think about like a week-to-week format to engage the the casual fan a little bit more? I mean, it's kind of in line with some of the daily fantasy stuff. That's that's uh, kind of the buzz as of late with. MLB and NFL, just all the big sports are seem seem like they're going that way lately, and I really feel like it would kind of help the casual fan to be able to wipe the slate clean from week to week, have you know have that hundred thousand dollar budget, and you know basically start from scratch and pick your team um, based on kind of like Guy was saying, like who's the best players that are going this week. Yeah, and, uh, I think I think that's for sure, not just on the radar, but I, I think has been discussed. Farther than that, you know, I, I couldn't really give you any detail on where it's going. So that's really a business decision side of things. Sure. So, you know, I, I will say that it's it's certainly something that, you know, it's it's not as if it's not, that we're not unaware, I'd say. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my, my brother, for instance, he uh, he took a minus 52 hit <laughs> this past week. <laughs> he be, he basically said, like, I don't have anything else to play for except trying to get the best team. Um, he I think he's ranked around 5,000th, so... Kind of one of those things that he doesn't even really care to to manage his team at this point, other than just trying to to make the best team possible. 
What was his score? He actually ended up, I think, third overall for the round. Wow. <laughs> but uh, obviously wow. after that, minus 52. <laughs> I think his goal is that he gets first overall for the round so that he can make that Monday morning center back article. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. And, and that's one thing I might add if, if there are some changes in the future, some some different ways to sort some of these uh, results would be fantastic, even within your own leagues. I know the, the R Fantasy MLS League is over 1,500 people, and so trying to find out who got the highest score for that round can be a bit challenging each week. Oh, yeah. uh, you, and so that, I, I'd love to see some additional tools for filtering between head to head league and and overall that would that would just be fantastic Andrew I got a question I got a question for you that I've been actually asked a lot on the uh, MLS fantasy boss chat room and also on Twitter um, so I know that there's been kind of some inconsistencies with uh, points uh, assists goals second assists things like that Um First, with the second assist, are you guys going to be taking that out? Because, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like it's kind of a useless stat. I mean, my, I mean that's my opinion. Uh, but also with the um, with the stats, I mean, is there – I know, I believe, is it Opta that does it? And if it is or isn't, is there some way to maybe get them to be watching all the games and kind of doing it that way? Because I just, I just feel that there's so many inconsistencies this year uh, with those stats. Well, just to give you an idea how those stats get collected, Opta, Opta has three different analysts on every game, and they're, they're obviously logging every single action of anything on the field. Second assists aren't going anywhere, and I, I wrote a column actually last year about Landon Donovan's second assist and his assist record and why that, why that stat's not going to go anywhere. I mean, you're just you're cannibalizing your own record book if you do it. Um, the definition is actually pretty straightforward. It's the application of the definition that gets kind of wonky at times. And there's also an aspect of, um, you know, it's not just what Opta says. There's there's sometimes a discussion between Opta and, and the league about how certain things should be scored. So it's not just Opta, although the majority is Opta. The other thing you have to think about is that once the window opens, any change to the stats that comes out after the window opens doesn't get reflected in uh, in the scores because it could potentially change prices. And once the window opens, those prices have to be locked. Sure. So there's a complication there that, that affects that too. I mean, on our end, what, what we try to do is that if we get the, thing of the feeling that there's going to be a change in a critical stat, like an assist taken away or added or an own goal switched to a goal or whatever it may be, we're doing everything we can to get those pushed into the game um, before that window opens. Because once the window opens, you can't do a ton about it. No, perfect, Dan. I think that that would answer a lot of people's questions, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. And Travis mentioned this on on Reddit, I believe. If if you do, if you're listening now and you do happen to notice that there is some sort of of error in the scoring, you're of course tweet it out. But if you want to let someone, one of the fantasy experts this year, like Skyler, Josie, Travis, myself, Andrew Winter, of course Andrew Weeby, if you want to tweet us or message us or know, we can always try to let some people know as well. Um, because I know some things got overlooked this this time that it seems like people had some heads up on. So we don't care to pass some word on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Twitter is a perfect way to reach me. I mean, I check that every. I check that far too often, to be perfectly honest. So uh, uh, I see those things, and when I do, I may not always respond, but I'm almost always passing them on to pertinent folks involved. Okay, so this has been a great section. I know we could probably go on for more, but I have to respect everyone's time as, as best as I can. So we're going to move on to our last segment of questions 
for the show, and this is about how to survive the mega double game week coming up in round 17. And I figured we might as well touch a little bit on the Gold Cup since we have some preliminary rosters already out there. And uh, Skylar, we'll let you take this first question that comes from Mike That Tiger, and he says, "What players that aren't going to get called up for international duty uh, do we think would be most affected by the loss of teammates who are?" Um, well, for me, I mean, anytime the Gold Cup rolls around, there's always a, a player that steps up for his team. I think last year, um, Giles Cesardes was one of those guys that came through. But I don't know, looking at the Gold Cup roster, for, as far as MLS teams go, the pr preliminary rosters, um, as far as that question goes, you really got to just look at who's been fantasy relevant. And going down the list here, you know, FC Dallas has both Tesho Akindele and Blas Perez that will be gone. Um, so you're going to be probably looking at Fabian Castillo shouldering a little bit more of the load, as well as uh, David Teixeira, and I think Mauro Diaz will probably continue to uh, have a role in the attack. But let's see, I mean, as far as anybody else, I'm looking at New York right here, and they've got, looks like they've got, three starting defenders, maybe four starting defenders that have been called up. So that could get interesting. Um, you might see a guy like Connor Laid pop into the mix, but at the same time, I mean, the Red Bulls haven't been world beaters on defense as it is. So who knows? I mean, there could be Connor Laid's got a little bit of that attacking flair to him, so it could be somebody that steps in and produces. Um, looking at the earthquakes, Wando will be gone. And I think Wando's bagged maybe four or five goals over the last five games for the Earthquakes. So, you know, for me, I'm looking at that saying who, where, the, where are the goals going to come from? Is it going to be Adam John or, you know, uh, Perez Garcia? Um, for me, I might start targeting defenses um, that are playing against the Earthquakes based off of that. Um, let's see, Salt Lake, you've got Sabarillo will be out. I think Plata just came back, so he's going to be one that should start stepping up a little bit more. Um, other than that, I mean, like I said, you really don't want to read too much into it. There, there's definitely going to be guys that step up. Um, it's kind of one of those things that you just got to take a wait-and-see approach. Who's got the hot hand? Of course, uh, one more thing here. Sounders with Deuce being gone and Papa being gone. We saw Chad Barrett have a nice little run there, so he's one to keep an eye on. I think he could probably have another good little run once once Dempsey's away. But, yeah, in general, just I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Just kind of see how things play out over the first week or two and uh, go from there. I want to go to you for a second, Travis, because when I was going through some of these rosters, Houston has taken a hit in a lot of their offensive power. Yeah, we're going to be missing quite a few players uh, that we didn't even realize we were going to be missing. I mean, <laughs> Demarcus Beasley is unretired from international soccer. Um, Brad Davis was called up, surprisingly. Um, Giles, of course, is uh, heading off to Jamaica, as is uh, Tremaine Taylor. Um, Garrido, Boniac Garcia. Um, it's gonna be a rough few weeks for the for the Dynamo. Do you have a standout player who's gonna who's gonna shine while they're gone? Um, 
Will Bruin. Will Bruin. <laughs> the dancing bear. No, I mean it's it's great that that uh, that Will has been on such great form, but with that many pieces missing, um, as much of a Dynamo fan as I am, I don't know that I'm going to be targeting any Dynamo players on my fantasy roster anytime soon. Uh, so take that for what you will. It's got to be tough to say. Yeah, I, I try not to let any biases judge uh, interfere with my uh, fantasy picks. It's it's difficult sometimes. It seems a little bit in your wheelhouse, Jason. You're the one who likes to go with those punt players. I honestly have not even looked at any Houston Dynamo players yet, to be honest with you. Um, uh, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm more interested in the players that will be coming back from the under twenty cup. Um, I know um, I think Skyler alluded to how New York is going to be having a lot of players out uh, due to international call-ups and things like that. But you, you got to look at you know Miazga is going to be coming back in. Jordan Allen from RSL, uh, Jamison from New York. I believe he broke his collarbone for the under twenty game, so he'll probably be out for a considerable amount. And then I mean. I mean, Kansas City's got a bunch of, I mean, their rotation in the back line with Dia. Uh, Eric Palmer-Brown's going to be coming back. I mean, there's there's it's just a whole charade of rotation on every single team. So I, I couldn't tell you anything about Houston. That's that's Travis. That's all him. I think you mean, uh, is that L.A.'s Jamison? Yes, L.A.'s Jamison, the forward, correct. You got that. Yeah, I think a lot of it, it's maybe a little bit unfair question to talk about the Gold Cups with the preliminary roster. So there's there's still some time for these things to change. Still time for people to get injured or maybe stay up. I, I'm i pretty sure the U.S. Uh, misspelled when they said Beasley, and they, they meant to say Failhopper. That's that's just the strangest way I've seen that, that spelled in a long time. Yeah. Right? The F is silent. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was telling you, Reed, earlier, I believe uh, I was on Twitter, I, I, I wrote out, I don't understand how you have Brad Davis in there and um, oh, I forget the other names over Benny Failhaber. It just it honestly blows my mind. I mean, Brad Davis, I, I love him. He's a good dude. I mean, he's done very well for Houston. But, I mean, Benny Failhaber's in form last year, this year. How did you not uh, – how don't you get a call-up? I just don't understand it. Yeah, you won't get any argument from me as a Houston fan, honestly. Failhaber, uh, I still have nightmares of, uh, of him and Houston – couple weeks back. Yeah, so it's a fair question. I think the best idea is to wait. There'll definitely be some more information coming up uh, in, in articles in the future on, on MLS that you can check out for uh, who... I think the other thing, if I can jump in, the other thing to remember yeah. is that, you know, I don't I don't have any expectations that DeMarcus Beasley will actually get called in. I think there's a lot to be said for having 35 guys on there in a just-in-case scenario, as in, like, what if Fabian Johnson and Greg Garza break their legs? Knock on wood, furiously. Um, I just maybe I'm maybe I'm. You know what? I, I take that back because every time I try to predict what, what Jurgen Klinsmann does, I'm wrong. So uh, I, I just take that back. I, I hope you're right. If we're going to have a lot of these young guys coming in, I mean, um, having having Beasley at least in the camp. I mean, he can still pass on all kinds of knowledge if he doesn't even go with the team. So maybe maybe that's the idea, is to at least get some of these guys who can impart some some wisdom on to people like Yedlin. You can't have him. <laughs> there's, your, there's your orange showing through. Yeah. Uh, guys, so we'll I just put a mind to the party, but i, I got to take off. It was a, it was a pleasure. 
as always, hit me on Twitter, and, and you can get my, my email from, uh, from anybody else or just DM me or something if you have anything specific. But it was a pleasure to be on with you guys. So a lot of, uh, a lot of insight and a lot of rankings much higher uh, than mine. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. We look forward to the starting Thanks, lineup of the week. See you, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So we'll go ahead and keep moving on. Uh, great, great to have Andrew on the show um, and everybody as well. But yeah, it was great to have him. I'm glad he was able to pass on a lot of, lot of good insight for us. I think. So our next question comes from Mr. Frumble PDX, and he says, with all the rotations, um, is picking the best double game week player so much of a with and it being so much of a crapshoot? We should should we just not stress about it at, at all? Um, basically, are the minus four hits worth it for double game week players, considering the massive amount of rotation going on this year? And I'd like Simon to to go with this one because I know you've had some thoughts about about hits in the past. Yeah, I'm always interested in this topic, so I'll give you the uh, similar answer to what I always do to questions like this. So, uh, and it's kind of a cop out. I'm gonna warn you. So it's worth it if your if your transfers will make uh, more than make up for the negative point hit. Some players, you know, they're not gonna get rotated, even if they even if they don't get rotated, though. No guarantee that that hit's going to be worth it. Uh, you just have to do some math on expected point outcome. That's uh, a good strategy, in my opinion. Or take a guess. You know, will this minus four get me more points either this week or overall than if I didn't take it? Maybe kind of a cop-out to uh, not give a straight yes or no answer to that question, I'd suppose. But I don't know. Um, there's just so many like factors that play into it that, in my opinion, it's kind of – it would be like not really – very responsible to give a yes or no answer. Um, you could have a goalkeeper, you know, a minus four for a goalkeeper. They're very likely to play in both games. And so, you know, rotation, not really that much of an injury. Uh, sometimes you've got a team that has a ton of injuries that make it so they can't rotate players or they're traveling across the country. And so, you know, there's going to be just a ton of rotation or, you know, you've just got a coach who likes to rotate their players or a coach who doesn't. So if, you know, I can't say that negative fours aren't worth it because sometimes they are, but you just have to consider it on a case-by-case -case basis. And especially this year, it seems like it's, it's one of the really more difficult things given the large amount of double game weeks. I actually, um, <clears throat> I'm really in favor of playing a really aggressive strategy. Um, I took a negative 12 this last week, and basically, if you if I didn't take a negative 12, I wouldn't have had Piotti and Maidan on my team. Um, and then to take it further, it's it's kind of disheartening when you read Reddit comments, um, and people are so resolute against taking point hits for any reason. It's just completely out of their periphery. They're not going to take point hits. But <clears throat> I mean, I got a buddy in my work league. He's taken negative 20 hits in the last two weeks. Um, He's had 71 transfers to this point in the year, and his team's ranked 250th. Like, if you play aggressively and you play those big players coming in double game weeks, it can really pay off for you. And I, I think people are still in that mindset where they're going to lose more than they gain, but with no sell-on penalty, there really is, in my mind, no excuse for uh, not playing hits on big double game weeks. Yeah, to Guy's point, I agree with him 100%. Um, I mean, listening to this pod or speaking on this podcast, I've been a huge proponent of taking hits uh, if you need to, but also planning for 
planning in advance. I mean, taking hits for me is, you know, I'm looking two to three weeks, four weeks in advance, um, saying, hey, I would like to keep these players in my lineup for the next couple weeks. But I've taken out of, I want to say, the five or six game weeks, I've taken negative eights, negative 12s on. Every single week has been green arrows. Every single week has been green arrows. So, I mean, to me, I agree with the aggressive strategy. And this is a type of game where if you're not going to be playing aggressive, you're probably not going to move up. And if you're playing conservatively, you're probably going to stay where you're at or even see red arrows because everyone who's playing aggressively is probably going to move up. Exactly. I think, Corolla, you had mentioned earlier that you uh, are willing to embrace some of these hits a little bit more now due to some of this this new new system. Um, do you have a do you have a limit of how many hits you would take, or are you targeting double game week players? Or are you just looking for that diamond in the rough? Um, yeah, at this point, I don't think I would have a hard limit on how many hits I would take. Um, I think a lot of people kind of look at it as an overall, like, oh my god, I'm taking a minus 8 or a minus 12 or 16 even. And they see that minus 16 and they panic. But really, it's all about thinking about each individual transfer and whether that one makes sense. So you're not thinking about, oh my god, I'm taking minus 16. It's, yeah, I've already taken a minus 12, whatever. And now I'm looking at this next minus four, and does this one really make sense for my team? Um, so, so that's just a little bit of different mindset that I think a lot of people don't quite think about. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good point because a lot of times someone might say, "Oh, who did you spend your minus four on?" and and sometimes I respond with, I don't know, it depends on who does the best in this w week, and I'll tell you that's the one that I use it on. So it's yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just making the trades you think are going to do the best. I know I, I kind of looked back in the last season to see how many double game weeks there were, because for a while I thought, you know, maybe it's just because the sheer concentration of these double game weeks is, is what's doing it, or having, having these two more teams is going to just increase the number of double game weeks. It seems crazy, but it's really not. Uh, I think there might have been six. There were fewer than ten additional double game weeks this season than there were last season, so it's really not any more than we've dealt with in the past. I just think there's been there's just been some crazy results that we've had, and the travel that teams have been dealing with is, is just something that I think we forget about when we play Fantasy Premier League and come back over here with the time zones that we have to cross and, and just the double game week, midweek games. And it's, it's, it's vicious. It wears on your body. Sure, I figured it'd go a little long. Um, hey, guys, guys, I got breaking news right now for Yura Masvisien. I believe he's coming to RSL. Hey, you, you heard it here first on this podcast, unless you read an article before you listened to this podcast. Um, he's in America taking physicals, and we own his rights. And he said that he wants to play for RSL. I just tweeted out to MLS transfers, and they favorited my comment and sent me a DM with a thumbs up. So to me, that sounds pretty encouraging. Put him on your radar. Exactly. Sissium was a fantasy beast a few years back. We've got three more questions left, so I think we can wrap this up pretty quickly. Thank you to everyone who stayed with us so long. I knew it was going to be a little bit longer of an episode, so I hope you've at least found it, found it useful. Uh, this next question uh, I think will be quick. Uh, everyone can chime in if they would like, but if you don't feel... 
the need to, then that's okay. Uh, we'll start with you, Guy, though. This comes from Older Goaler, and he says, Give me your top two Gold Cup-bound players that are must-haves for the Mega Double Game Week 17, uh, knowing that, that free transfers and, and hits must be used straight away to remove them if they're going to leave for camp at 18. Uh, really, the only must-have that I had for that week was Dempsey. I mean, a lot of people are going to say Omar, um, but... I don't play anybody that expensive on my back line, so for me, it's just Dempsey. Anybody else going to chime in? I agree. <laughs> well, excellent, then. We're all in agreement. <laughs> take, Dem yeah. take Dempsey out, bring in Geo. Sure. <laughs> you should be bringing in Geo a little earlier than that. I agree. I, that's I'll, I'll, that's I'll, probably true. He'll be in next week for sure. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next question. Then this comes from Mito underscore 21. And I think we've waited a long time to mention this, but if one still has a wild card, would you say to play, to plan to use that on a team for 15 to 16 game week or with the current setup, wait until use the wild card in round 17? I butchered that. I'm sorry, guys. But. When would you use your wild card if you still have one? Sorry, I, you, Jason. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was planning on saving mine until game week 17, but I had to use it uh, on game week 13. And, um, I mean, honestly, it's it's tough to say that because with all the rotation on double game weeks, it's difficult to figure out who's going to start. But I think if you were going to use it, I personally think that game week 17 is the week to use it. Or even maybe waiting till after the Gold Cup, because you don't know who's going to get injured. We don't know who's exactly getting called up. We have an idea, but either one of those two, I think, are good. Then you used yours early, didn't you, Corolla? Uh, yeah, I was on vacation in Asia for three weeks, so I had to really reset my lineup coming back after that with a couple players that got unfortunately injured, so I used mine about seven weeks ago. Any regrets? Any regrets? No, none at all. I was very happy with that particular week that I used it, and my team's been chugging along nicely ever since. What about you, Skylar? Do you have yours? I've still got mine in hand, and I'm, I'm, I am planning on using it in round 17. Um, basically, my plan for this round is just to plan for this round and round 16, kind of go all in for, for the, these next two rounds. And then, you know, push the uh, the wild card button on round 17, and, and hope that I can catch up to uh, to guy and to to crawl up there. I think Simon stepped away for a second. So, what about you, Travis? Um, I wound up using mine uh, early, about week four or five, I think, uh, just because uh, I wanted to kind of. I had a little bit more information than I did at the beginning of the season, which was none, and <laughs> so I figured it would be a pretty pretty optimal time to use it uh, with a few weeks of information under my belt. Uh, I wound up finishing uh, third for the week that week, so I was pretty happy about using it then. Uh, I kind of wish I still had it now, but... Uh, Especially since uh, it's it was impossible to get any price change uh, increase during the wild card like it was the last two seasons, but uh, I burned it and I enjoyed it and I miss it now. I will say the uh, the round seventeen wild card is going to be a little bit 
could be a little bit of a letdown for anybody that's that is planning on using it then, just because there are so many teams on a double game week. Um, that's one thing I've been pondering whether whether or not to break it out then or trying to look on down the schedule. But I really just I think if you can play your cards right, um, bring in the best players, and also plan you know plan going forward for round 17. Then the more I look at it, the more I think that that's that is the round to to focus on unloading it. So build your round 17 team, then work it backwards two weeks, and there's your transfers all set yep. up right there. There you go. I, I used mine about I think it was round 12 or 13, and I'm I'm a big proponent of using your wild card when you just feel like your team's in shambles. And I just was not happy with my team, and I needed I needed to switch switch it up, and I did, and I and I feel fine about using it. Uh, 17 is a great time to use it. My big concern is we've seen so many mediocre results from double game week players and in, in these past weeks when they've been playing against other double game week teams because it's hard to count on a defender when they have those situations. The offensive players tend to sometimes get rested depending on their travel. And so it, it, it's very attractive. I know on my charts that I see this big blue bar down the middle of it for round 17. Um, but I don't know. They've just been so unpredictable that I am perfectly happy with not having one going forward. One thing that I do want to mention, talking about this upcoming double game week and talking about teams rotating because the regular season is pretty much meaningless to a lot of these coaches nowadays, um, keep in mind that Seattle, Portland, and L.A. all have, on the back end of the double game week, they're all playing a rivalry game. So I would very much expect for the first game of that week that a lot of the players are going to be rested, so they'll be fresh for the big rivalry game. That's a good point, yeah. Lots of lots of little factors to consider when planning your MLS trades in the future. So that was our last question that we had taken from the community for this segment. Uh, the only thing I would ask all of you guys, is there anything else, any other tips or thoughts or advice that you want to pass on for any of the sections, make a double game week, gold cup, rules, general, just anything? Um, start with you, Corolla, if you want to throw anything out there. I, I think we've touched on this several times throughout this podcast, but I think it's a good idea to be aggressive and don't be afraid to take hits because in the long run I'm, I'm feeling more and more that they're panning out. Preach, brother, preach. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, I'd just say stay the course. I mean, it's uh, it's a long season. Um, anybody that's listening to this podcast is obviously still checked into the game, but it's it's very easy to have a bad week or two and just throw in the towel. But don't do it. It's uh, um, you know you can just as easily bounce back with with two monster weeks. So um, stay the course and uh, Captain David Bia this week. <laughs> I think my my advice is just don't stay loyal to players. Because really, the best thing about the pricing, and I didn't get a chance to thank Andrew for this, but the no sell on penalty just revolutionized the game this year. I mean, can you imagine if we all had to hang on to Fail Harbor this week just because you didn't want to lose half of his value? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just don't stay loyal. Just bring in the best players every week, and that's how you grow your funds is by getting that best player for that one week. And uh, I, I wouldn't have anybody on a bench that was a major producer or over $10 million. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, thanks to everyone, too, for you know supporting the podcast and uh, asking all the questions on all the Reddit forums and Twitter and 
on the chat. It's uh, it makes us a lot of fun, and you know, just uh, makes the season fun and helps us out to be uh, better fantasy players and to really understand the game better and hopefully get more people involved in this. So thank you guys all for uh, being a part of it. Yeah, we've kind of uh, jumped into it already, but if you guys have any other any other closing comments or any other plugs that you'd like to give for projects that you're working on, feel free to give that that now. And we're all involved in lots of stuff. I'm about to be involved in having some dinner, I think. <laughs> this right, this has gone long. I appreciate you guys <laughs> coming out here. I appreciate everyone for listening as well. For sure, that was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, Reed, for setting it up, man. You uh, you killed it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, man. Yeah, you guys are doing some good things for the game, so it's good to see. And uh, thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks. thank you guys for coming. Again, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to share our podcast, like our podcast, just get as many people to listen to it as you possibly can. And uh, good luck in this upcoming round. Unless you're playing me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>